You're listening to a sermon from St. John's Anglican in Cranbourne. To find out more about us, head to cranbourneanglican.org.au. I've got a confession to make. I've never shared this with you before, but I actually have a superpower. I've never told you it's a burden. Uh, I've never told anyone, in fact, before. But my superpower is that with one question, I can find out what you truly believe about God. It's a a scary proposition. Should I ask the question? Yeah. Yeah. Here's the question. What do you pray about? See, actually, you have this superpower too. Because the truth is that prayer reveals what we actually think about God. Not what we say, not what we sing, but when rubber meets the road, what are we actually talking to God about? Who do we claim Him to be? Prayer reveals for us whether God is distant or He is close, whether He is kind or whether He is angry, whether He's a cosmic cop sitting up in the universe ready to wrap us over the knuckles, whether He's a magic genie just there to grant us wishes, or whether he's the God of the Bible. What do you pray about? This morning we'll be looking at Hannah's prayer, which is alternatively being called Hannah's prayer or Hannah's song. But in truth, they're kind of the same kinds of things. Our prayers are often poetic and our songs, our best songs, are aspirational prayers. When we pray, when we sing, in Christ alone my hope is found, we are praying, Christ, in you my hope, may it be found. When we sing only a holy God, we are saying only you, the Lord, our holy God, can save us. It's important to mean what we sing and to sing what we mean. And what we find in Hannah is someone who means what she prays. If you were tracking from last week, you will have heard that Hannah was crying out, pleading with the Lord for the thing that she desired more than anything else in this world, which was a son. She was a childless woman in a culture that saw barrenness as a divine curse. Lord, give me this one thing. And by the end, we see her prayers answered. Samuel is born. And so this song, this prayer bursts forth out of her, the overflow of her heart. But it's an odd prayer in some ways. It's not necessarily the prayer you'd expect from a new mum. And so we're going to dive in. But before we do, I have to pray. (laughs) Hannah has prayed. Let me pray as well. God, I pray that you would open our ears, our minds, our hearts to you. May your word sing to us this morning. Lord, may your word be living and active here and in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the opening verses of 1 Samuel chapter 2 burst off the page. Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in my God. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in my victory. Let's see if this works. It wasn't this morning. I'm just going to read from the Bible. There is no one holy like the Lord, no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. 
I wonder if in your life there has been a big prayer that you've been praying consistently over a long period of time and you've eventually seen God answer yes to that prayer. What was your prayer life like over the next month? I dare say it would be something like what we see in Hannah. In that first verse, if we go to the next slide, which says, My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in my God. It's the overflow of her heart bursting forth in praise. It's beautiful. We see Hannah go from tears to worship, from sorrow to praise and thanks giving this beautiful overflow and it's exactly what we would expect except until we come to the second half go back one my mouth derides my enemies because i rejoice in my victory well that seems a little odd that seems a little odd for a new mum to pray and yes we we kind of get the context that she's in a polygamous marriage that there are two women married to elkanah there's hannah and there's peninnah and Peninnah has lots of kids and Hannah has no kids. And so Peninnah has mocked her and scorned her and Hannah has been crying out to God. But this seems kind of odd. This seems a bit harsh. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in my victory. See, this is the kind of thing that you'd expect an army to say. This is the kind of thing that you'd expect after a great battle or a great victory. Except that's exactly What's going on? Hannah is using and utilizing this language that Israel has used when they have had a great victory, when they have had a great battle over an enemy. And it's not because Peninnah is this great enemy of Hannah, it's because Hannah's story has been swallowed up in this grand story of what God is doing in and through Israel. It's bigger than just Hannah. In fact, this whole prayer is a little odd seen through the eyes of a new mother because she doesn't mention Samuel. In fact, she doesn't even mention herself, really. There's potentially a mention in verse 5 when she talks about barrenness, but really it's not a prayer about what has happened in chapter 1. It's a prayer about God. It's a prayer about who God is and what God is like. It's not really about Hannah or Samuel at all. That's striking, isn't it? It's not about her. In fact, we see this in verse 2 on the next slide. She says, There's no holy one like the Lord, no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. See, what Hannah does is draw out two threads to center her prayer upon, the thread of God's uniqueness and the thread of God's sovereignty. And she centers her prayers on these two truths. God is unique There is no holy one like the Lord, no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. God is not one God in a pantheon of gods. He's not got rivals who he's competing with. There is no one like him. There is no option to. He is unique. He is alone. And this is a bit sad, to be honest, because the whole story of Samuel could be described as Israel's sad adventure in trying to replace the irreplaceable. God is incomparable, and they try to replace him 
with what can be compared to. They have the irreplaceable and they try to replace him with men, kings. You see, at this time, Israel had no king lording over them. They had judges sent by God with the understanding that God was their king. This God, the holy God, that there is no one like in all the universe, no rival, no one rivaling him in majesty or splendor. And yet, Israel looks at the other nations and says, we want a king like them. And God sees it for what it truly is. In the next slide... In 1 Samuel 8, verse 7, he says, Listen to the voice of the people in all that they said to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Samuel is a sad adventure of Israel replacing God with men. And that's a sad adventure indeed. The question we should ask ourselves, are we really any different? See, the reason that Israel wanted a king is that they could look with their eyes at the nations around them and they could see that they were powerful, that they were mighty, that they were strong, that they were secure, that they were rich. They said, we want whatever you've got. We want to be powerful. We want to be rich. We want to be secure. We want a king that's going to deliver us these things that we desire. But if we're honest with ourselves, we want those things too, don't we? We want power. We want financial stability. We want to be loved. We want to be secure. We want to be safe. We want the promotion. We want lots of different things. And what ends up happening is we orient our lives around those things to such an extent that they become what we pursue rather than God. See, Martin Luther once said, whatever your heart confides in, whatever your heart clings to, that is your God. So we can come on a Sunday and worship God and say, only a holy God. But from Monday to Saturday, often we have rivals in our hearts. We are not that dissimilar from Israel. They wanted to replace the irreplaceable with the common. And so often we do too. But the truth is that God is God alone. There is no rival. Everything else falls short. And what is Israel's sad adventure in replacing God What displayed in Samuel is the desperation, the disaster, the the depression that comes on the nation as a result of this. And it's true in our lives too. What happens when we replace God in our hearts with other idols is not success, is not power, but disappointment. God is God alone. But Hannah doesn't only pull this thread, she pulls the thread of God's sovereignty. If we go to the next slide, she describes these realities that seem odd when the natural order, the normal order of things has been flipped on its head like we're in an upside down world. She describes the bows of the mighty are broken, the feeble gird on strength. Next slide. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry are fat with spoil. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. Next slide. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings, brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low. He also exalts. Next slide. 
He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with the princes and inherit a seat of honor for the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. What it's describing is this reality where God has authority over everything. There is nothing that God does not have authority over. Human power, human strength, human plenty, life and death, poverty and riches. Indeed, the foundations of the world are the Lord's. There is not a single inch, a single centimeter over this world that God cannot declare mine. God has authority. When we talk about sovereignty, what we are talking about is God's unlimited, unrestricted, unrestrained ability to do whatever he wants to do. There are no roadblocks getting in his way. There is no opposition that thwart his plan. God is able to do all that he sets out to do. And I think one of the reasons that the Bible is so clear on the sovereignty and authority of God is that it secures his promises to us. It reminds us so that we are reminded that all of his promises to us are secure because their God is unique. There is no one else like him. There is no rival who might thwart his plan. And because God is sovereign, he's able to do all that he sets out to do. And so if God is unique and if God is sovereign, then he will do exactly as he promises. And that's exactly what Hannah has experienced, isn't it? Go to the next slide. It says, He will guard the feet of his faithful ones. Isn't that Hannah's experience? Hannah has not prevailed with this desperate dream of hers because of her strength, because of her body, because of her wisdom, because of her riches, because of her cunning, because of her might. No, she has prevailed because, in part, she's trusted the Lord and the Lord has been kind to her it's not by might but by faith the story of Samuel reveals that the ones in the end who win are not the strong and not the powerful not the successful not the famous but the ones who place their trust in the Lord and what that is compared to are the ones who trust in might for not by might does one prevail this is the whole story of Samuel in a nutshell Because what happens is Israel wants a king and which king do they go to first? They go to Saul. Well, here's the first time that we meet Saul in chapter 9, verse 2. On the next slide. He had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. He stood head and shoulders above everyone else. This was a man who looked exactly like a king should look. Strong, beautiful, powerful. He probably had blonde hair and it waved in the sun. That's not accurate at all. But you get the picture. This was a mighty man. In fact, that's actually how he's described in his downfall. In 2 Samuel chapter 1, when David is describing the death of Saul, he says, how the mighty have fallen. Not by might. God guards his faithful ones. Israel trusted in might. Israel trusted in strength. Israel trusted in all these things rather than trusting in the Lord 
God. And it's easy from our position to look at them and go, what fools, what fools. But I wonder whether we're tempted to do the same. If you've been following the news in the last six weeks, you would have seen the census results that came out that showed that Christianity is on the decline in Australia. That just about every major denomination has had a significant amount of people either lose faith or walk out the buildings and not return. I feel like our temptation in the midst of that is to place our trust in charismatic leaders, in new programs, in quick fix solutions, rather than what we've always done, which is to read God's word, to pray to God and to trust him and to build a community of people who are content to follow him. I wonder whether we're tempted in the same way that Israel is, to place our trust in might and power rather than in the Lord something worth pondering, isn't it? But the song finishes on an interesting note in verse 10, in the next verse. It says, The Lord, His adversaries shall be shattered. The Most High will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to His King and exalt the power of His anointed. It's interesting because Israel actually has no king at this point. There's no king in all of Israel. Israel has judges. Judges do the Lord's work, bringing, uh, calling Israel back to repentance, but they will have a king. And so it will be easy for us to think that this is reaching ahead to the kingdoms of Saul and David. Saul the mighty, David a man after God's own heart. It would be easy, except she uses the word anointed. See, the word anointed, the Hebrew word is Messiah. And the Greek word is Christos. Hannah's not just reaching forward to the kingdoms of Saul and David. She's reaching forward to the kingdom of Jesus, God's anointed one, our Messiah, the King of Kings. And I wonder if you notice this morning in our gospel reading how similar they really are. See, I think... Hannah's song is Mary's song, Mary the mother of Jesus. And they're so linked, not just because Mary couldn't think of something to say and thought, well, I'll just use this song I found in the Old Testament, but because in part she knows it's reaching ahead to Jesus. Just read this together. When I say together, you can read it silently, I'll read it out loud. And compare to what's going on in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. Sounds an awful lot like exalts, doesn't it? My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lonely. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. It sounds an awful lot like Hannah's song, doesn't it? In fact, if this was an essay, Mary would probably get done with plagiarism. Use some of your own words, but mostly you're basing this off Hannah's prayer. 
It's because the king that Hannah looks forward to ultimately is not Saul. Ultimately is not David. Ultimately it's Jesus. Hannah is looking forward to the king that will set things right. That's not Saul. That's not David. What we'll see in Samuel is that even David, a man after God's own heart, goes astray. Jesus is the king of kings who does not falter. I think the book of Samuel could be summarized as asking the question, who can we place our trust in? Can we place our trust in kings? Can we place our trust in Saul? Can we place our trust in David? Can we place our trust in Jesus? So I go back to the first question I asked you. What do you pray about? If our prayer life reveals what we actually think about God, does your prayer life reveal that you think Jesus is the King? Does your prayer life reveal that God has authority over all things? Does your prayer life reveal that, you, that God is unique? Or are there rivals in your heart? Because God is unique. God is sovereign. And Jesus is the king that all of this points ultimately forward to. Whether we like it or not. So my challenge to you this week is to pray. And not simply to pray the normal prayers, but to keep in mind who God is. That Jesus is the king that all of Samuel ultimately points forward to. That God is unique. There is no one like Him. There is no holy one like Him. There is no rock like Him. That God is sovereign over power, over plenty, over life and death, over poverty and riches. All things are the Lord's. So I want to challenge you to pray like that is true because that is true. So I'm going to pray for us now. But I encourage you this week to take a moment five minutes, ten minutes, to sit and ponder whether your prayer life reflects what Hannah knows. Because it's true. Let me pray. God, you are holy. There is no one like you. There is no rock like the great I am. So God, I pray that you would change us and shape us, fill us with thanksgiving so that we might pray with the faith of Hannah. That we might see as clearly as Hannah do that everything is under your authority. God, reveal to us this week all the ways in which we do not trust you. All the ways in which we have rivals in our hearts that do not compare to you. All the ways in which we've trusted in our own strength and might. Or in the might of charismatic leaders or plans or whatever it is. And I've forsaken you. God, let us learn the sad adventure of Israel in this story. That there is nothing to replace you with. There is no one to compare you to. God, may you be the king of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.